What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to OK Sis Podcast. Hi, sisters. I'm Maddie. And I'm Scout. And we are sisters IRL. I'm the older one. Yes, Scout. We know. We're cultural observers. And of curious minds. Get ready for sisterly banter while we chat about fixations, learnings, and personal growth. We promise it'll be a good time. As long as you don't get too loud, Mads. Welcome to the sisterhood. Hello, my fellow bibliophiles. It is Mads, and here we are on month five of the OK Sis Book Club. Oh, my God. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, you have read People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. I know you have. It is the August's Book Club pick. But if you have not, which I don't understand how you haven't at this point, do not worry, because I'm going to quickly summarize the book before getting into my conversation with Emily Henry herself. I know, pinch me. So as you may know, the OK Sis Sisterhood has recently joined Geneva, which is an amazing community app where we share all of our book recommendations, get updated on the latest book club pick, and share thoughts on recent reads. We have a mini video call in the app scheduled for tomorrow, Friday, August 27th at 11 a.m. PST. It'll be similar to a Zoom, but it's on the app. And so we'll have this little discussion, chat with one another. And regardless if you can't make it or can make it to the virtual book club tomorrow, there's also just so many brilliant women in our Geneva Community Center. So we'd love to have you join as well. So the link to join can be found in the show notes and on our Instagram link and bio. All right, let's talk about this. August book club pick was People We Meet on Vacation, the romance novel that took book talk by storm. Poppy and Alex have been best friends since they shared a car ride home from college together, regardless of their differing personalities. Poppy lives in NYC, is a wild child, has a fancy job at a travel publication, whereas Alex has moved back to their small hometown to teach at the local high school and is looking for a more stable life. Every summer, though, they make it a point to reconnect for a glorious week of vacation that they've been taking for the past decade. But two years ago, something happens during their trip to Croatia, and they haven't spoken since. Poppy misses her best friend and their trip, so she decides to mend their friendship with one last trip with Alex to Palm Springs. Well, secrets and feelings are revealed, obviously, and let's just say the vacation will change everything for them. All right, without further ado, let's get into today's discussion on people we meet on vacation with Emily Henry. Hi. Hello. (laughs) How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you, Miss Emily Henry? (laughs) 
I'm good. Yeah, I'm like coming down from a migraine. So it might take me a while to think of words on occasion. So that's just sort of your warning. <laughs> you know what? We've been there. We okay, love cool. it. Don't even worry. We're going to get through it. Awesome. I want to talk to you about your nails. Can you show them, please? Yeah. Whoa. They are like, are these stick on? Do I say? Oh, yes. They're stick ons. Have you gotten the Instagram ad for Chill House yet? Oh, of course. I mean, who hasn't? These are from Chill House and they were one of my just like impulse purchases. And I've had them on for almost a week now. One of them fell off and I reapplied it like three days in, but they have stayed on surprisingly well. I mean, they're superb. They're so fun. We love a fun nail. You know, I'm being boring this time around, but we love a fun nail. I've been really dipping my toes. As you can see from my background, I am a very neutral palette type of yes. person. And as we can see from your background, you are very <laughs> vibrant and colorful. <laughs> I mean, like party. flower decals. <laughs> that's from a party that I had last week that I still haven't taken decorations down from. So it's more mm -hmm. that I, I am a maximalist, but also I'm just incredibly lazy. Yeah. One helps the other. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I want to say, are you aware that the hashtag people we meet on vacation on TikTok has 9 million views? <laughs> no, I do not have a TikTok. So I did not know that. Okay. I mean, so you're not aware of the like revolution that is happening on TikTok over your book? I mean, every once in a while. So early on, like after the book came out, people kept sending me videos from Kendra. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar with Kendra. I don't mm. remember her handle, but they would just all my friends who were on TikTok would see those and send them to me. And so I've seen some TikToks. If they get sent to me enough, I end up seeing them like on Instagram or over text or whatever. But I'm sure I miss a lot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So there it's taking book talk by storm. That's the, you know, official yes, title right. of book TikTok. So just just want to throw that out there that it's um alive and well on on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> so you should be proud. I mean, I know that's like moving so many books because I've also watched Colleen Hoover, whose books have always been amazing, have always been widely read, but watched like as three of them that have been out for like most of the books that are on the list right now have yeah. been out for multiple years and they just skyrocketed up there. And like, it ends with us, which it has been out probably us. for at least three years is like number three on Amazon. So like book talk is a powerful thing. Powerful and I think force. that's why I don't have a TikTok. I'm like, that is too powerful. I can't go there. Yeah. Yeah. You really fall into a deep hole. I mean, I, yeah. I dipped my toes a little bit into the romance novel book mm -hmm. talk area, which is very fun. So I'm, I mean, one, I'm just thrilled to speak with you. Just so you know, Beach Read, which I'm sure you've heard this many, many times, was a pivotal moment in my romance novel journey. And yeah. I think it was the book that made me like wholeheartedly respect romance novels yeah. as a genre. And and since then, I've been just completely hooked. And I, I want to ask you about the genre in general, specifically, you know, I, I've had amazing women like Sally Thorne and Christina and Lauren on the pod. And I asked them this too, because I think it's so interesting. There tends to be this stigma around romance novels. Yeah. At least I had it. I think many people kind of think of it before you dive into the right. actual genre. And, you know, it's deemed as chiclet. It has these like demoralizing terms uh, associated with yeah. it. 
But to me, it's this amazing escapism. It's just beautiful. It's these amazing love stories. And also the prose is is great. Like, I don't know why people think it's so, you know, intellectually inferior. So I want to hear about, yeah. like, how, what pulled you towards romance novels as a genre? And, and what do you find in it that you really love? Yeah, it's so interesting because I do think I am like, I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. I am one of those people who only really found out she loved romance novels like five years ago. And many of my best friends are people who only found out they loved romance novels either around the time that I started reading them and was like, you have to read this or mm -hmm. after they read Beach Read and were like, oh, what else should I be reading? I actually really liked this. Mm -hmm. And it's really weird because I feel like one of the trademarks of millennials and possibly every generation, but I feel like specifically millennials is like we really grew up in this culture of like girls who like boy things and all of that is in quotes every single word are like smarter and more interesting and have more depth and whatever and I grew up with two older brothers and you know just sort of that culture of like this is you know a cool girl is like this kind of girl who likes these things and she doesn't go in for all of that like girly shit and I really grew up with that and didn't really like question that all that much until probably college. And I don't even, I think it was just because in college, it was like the first time I had a group of friends that were like almost entirely women were my closest friends. And I'd always had close girlfriends growing up, but in college, I was like, wow, it's so great to have like a group of girlfriends. And I didn't really know. And, you know, they all liked doing makeup, which I probably hadn't even worn makeup except for I was like on a dance team. So I'd wear makeup for like dance competitions, but I had never probably worn makeup like for fun until college. All of these things where I just like didn't have this entry into like traditionally feminine and all, again, all, all of that's in quotes because it's all made up, but I didn't have this entry way into all of that until college. And it really changed me and it made me question a lot of the things that I thought I liked. And it made me realize how many things I had kind of willed myself to like because I thought that it would mean that I was like smart and all the things that I hadn't let myself truly love as well. Um, and, you know, like I had always loved like Jane Austen. I'd always loved things that had love stories in them, but I had never picked up a romance novel. And my entire association with romance novels really was just like that old school cover, you know, you, you can like picture it yeah. now. It's like, yeah, a man who like, also like when you're growing up and you see those covers, I feel like as a kid, I was not like one of those people who was like, I have a crush on George Clooney, even though he's my dad's age, whatever. I was just like, ew, old man. And I feel like right. seeing the traditional romance cover, you're like, what? Yeah. Like Fabio? I don't <laughs> think so. And I had loved rom-com movies. I loved all these things that had love stories, but I had just never gone that extra step of picking up a romance novel. I'd seen them so maligned, all of that. And then basically, I'm trying to think exactly how things played out. I had, I basically just had this really strong urge to write like a rom-com. And my entire frame of reference really was rom-com movies, not rom-com novels. And so I wrote one just like for myself. And then like a full year later, I kind of watched Sally Thorne and Jasmine Guillory and Helen Huang and Christina Lauren had been doing their thing for a while, but um, watched all of this kind of bring in all these new romance readers. And I saw, you know, the cute illustrated covers and they were so much less intimidating than like the original like Fabio covers. And so I emailed my agent and was like, hey, I actually think that I like wrote in this genre. I didn't really know that this was like actually a thing. I just kind of wrote this book for fun. And so she read it and really liked it and thought like, yeah, we can totally sell this. But she also was like, but you should <laughs> definitely be reading romance, obviously, like 
you don't just try and publish something when you're not actually familiar with the landscape and you know everything that you're you're writing into. And so she had just read uh, The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. And so she recommended that. And I was as obsessed as I think everyone, well, probably 98% of people who've ever read that book. I just yeah. couldn't believe how much I loved it. Sally's writing was so, so funny and so smart and so sexy and just realizing how much there really was there to love and that it, you know, there's this idea that like, if you're reading a romance novel, you're really just looking for this fantasy to like fill. <laughs> this is so funny because it's like books are all made up. Yeah. Novels are made up, you guys. <laughs> like, I don't know why we're going to draw this line in the sand, but there's this idea that it, you're supposed to kind of like look down on them because you're reading something just kind of like wishing for this other scenario or whatever. But reading that book, I realized this makes me, one, this makes me feel so good. Like I feel so happy. And why would that be a bad thing? Like, why would it be a bad thing to immerse yourself in something that makes you feel this overwhelmingly good? And that also just demands you keep turning the pages. Like that's what I want in every single book that I read. Yeah. Sisters, my goal these days is to always look put together when I leave the house. Nothing over the top or super dressed up or anything like that. I just want to look put together and feel good about what I'm wearing in an effortless yet refined way. When I look at my closet every single morning and think about what I can wear that is chic and intentional, I usually end up grabbing one of my Jenny Kane sweaters and I always end up loving the way I look and the way I feel in them. You all know, sisters, that when I envision my highest self, I am wearing Jenny Kane. Their sweaters are the quintessential must-have item. I cannot stop wearing my Marina set. I throw it on and immediately feel like I'm in a Nancy Myers movie, like I could just walk on the beach in Santa Barbara. It is the coastal grandma aesthetic. My favorite Jenny Kane sweater right now is their everyday sweater in taupe. This is the definition of a staple that every woman must have in their wardrobe. Sisters, trust me on this one. I wear it with leggings, oversized jeans, and a little kitten heel or a silk maxi skirt. Legit, Mads and I are so obsessed with wearing our Johnny Kane sweaters that we've literally shown up both wearing the same sweater once, the white alpaca cocoon crew neck, which is this deliciously oversized sweater. Yeah, that moment takes the cake. Both of us walking in with our matching Jenny Kane sweaters. We're obsessed. Can't take them off. Wearing them every day. The type of staples that save your outfit. That is what I love about their entire collection. It is truly the art of simplicity. They focus on comfort, quality, and timeless designs. So you can curate a wardrobe that never goes out of style. Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code OKSIS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E.com, promo code OKSIS. O-K-A-Y-S-I-S. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation. Because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. You also feel empowered. You know, you mentioned this kind of like revolution that 
specific authors are taking lead on. You are one of them. I, I put you in that book as well, that list. And also Jasmine and Helen will be on this podcast in the coming months. So it's like, we're going to have the whole group. But it's so true that I think it's shifted a little bit to putting the power in the woman's hands. Like, obviously, every, you know, sex scene or every relationship like is really about the woman in her power. There's consent. There's this really focusing on the female orgasm as well, which I think is just phenomenal. And as a woman, while you're reading it, you don't feel like, "Mm, like fairy tale princess Disney. It's more of this like, oh shit, like I can claim this for myself. And it doesn't matter if you're in pursuit of a relationship or if you're in one. I mean, Honestly, I read the books and I'm just like, in my current very stable relationship, it inspires me to, you know, pay a little more attention or do that extra thing. You know, it's a, it's a really, it's an empowerment thing almost. Exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of, that was the other thing I was going to say is it's like, you read them and you're like, okay, there's fantasy again in quotes Mm -hmm. element of just knowing that you have that happy ending when you set out and like in real life, you don't know that like in real life, you're just like, well, this could end very badly. Um, Maybe I'll date this person or whatever. But in books, it's like, you've got that little safety net when you pick up a romance novel. But at the same time, there is always real life stuff in these books. Mm -hmm. Like I have yet, even like the lightest, fluffiest rom-com, there is still some real life stuff in there. And this, it's this weird thing of like art by women used to always be like domestic because it's like that's what women have access to. So if they're going to paint, yeah, it's probably going to be like a kitchen or like a group of women, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that being lesser, it's like, no, that's not lesser. That's just specific to the world that these people inhabit. And so I think if you're telling no matter which kind of romance you're looking into, like if you're reading like a historical romance or a suspense romance or a really, really like fluffy contemporary or one with like a little bit more grit, like I think about Kennedy Ryan's books are always like, they just get into your gut, <laughs> like twist every knife, but also just make you so happy. And I think like all of those represent real women and real moments in women's lives. And, you know, like not that romance romance is always between a woman and the man like it can be any number of type of people but it really has been this thing of like women coming to realize that they love romance really is women claiming their power in so many ways because it's first of all saying like it's not shameful to read in a genre that's dominated primarily by women and written primarily about and for women and non-binary people it's not shameful it's not embarrassing it's not lesser being able to be confident in the things you love is so powerful and so meaningful. And I feel like that was just like all of my 20s was like (laughs) coming to that point of being like, I like this thing and I will never, I never call anything a guilty pleasure. Like I still watch The Bachelor and I don't call that a guilty pleasure. Same. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) I'm not guilty. Yeah. Like maybe there's, I feel like maybe the producers should feel a little guilty, (laughs) but like I don't. the viewers should not, yeah. We're, we're entertained. We're entertained. We're sitting back and entertained. I know I feel you on so many of those, of those levels. And also romance novels are like the number one best selling book. So it's like, no matter if you think it's whatever you guys are making the money in the book landscape. So let's just put that out there. Okay. You mentioned rom-coms. I mean, I'm a huge rom-com enthusiast myself some people have compared people we meet on vacation to when Harry met Sally and we see a lot of parallels there you know the college ride from uh going home you know the decades of friendship and then you know two people who don't know that they're in love with each other so was this movie an inspiration for the story or did this kind of just like come out of your subconscious 
Yeah, it actually, it sort of was. So first I'll say like, largely I wrote the book in the order that it's published in, but that ride home scene was added later. That was not in it. And so basically like when I had this idea for this book, I had like the general structure idea. I had the general idea of the characters. I knew that they were going to be traveling over all these various vacations. And when I sent the pitch to my agent, I said like, I want to do kind of a millennial gender swapped when Harry met Sally. And by that, I meant like, I wanted Poppy to be the <laughs> annoying one. I wanted Poppy to be, to get okay, to be the you one who's said it. You said it, not me. Okay. I said it. Uh-oh. Yes. Yeah. And like, I don't think that being annoying is the worst thing a person can be in the world. I often am annoying and most of my favorite people are often annoying. Yeah. So I wanted to do that. I wanted Alex to be the one who's a little bit more dreamy and a little bit more in some ways, like a little bit more of a romantic, like he really wants this lasting, stable, powerful relationship that just is like family. That's like what he craves. And Poppy is sort of just like, I don't know, like maybe I could date you for a while. Mm -hmm. And I I really wanted to reverse those a little bit. And, you know, beyond that, the characters aren't really molded after Harry and Sally, but that initial idea of two people who are opposites was there. And then specifically, I wanted Poppy to be the one who's like, a little bit more grading Mm -hmm. and then Alex to be the one who's like a little bit more like I know myself and this is what I want and then you know to take them through kind of the ringer that Harry and Sally go through so that was intentional but I also think that after working on it longer you know my editor was like I think we need to watch you know the moment that they become friends and so the car ride scene got added in and that was a very intentional homage although it doesn't play out obviously exactly the same way yeah. as when Harry Sally. I'm happy that at the end Alex really pushes Poppy to come to that realization. I was a little worried that he would have just taken her with yeah. all her faults and her not coming to that realization herself because she did need a she needed to do a lot of self-reflection. Yeah. And you know, talking about self-reflection, there's a theme in the book about and really the whole impetus of the story and the trip to Palm Springs is that she feels this kind of career plateau almost and that mm-hmm. she's reached the heights of her goals, which is amazing. It's not something that I think a lot of people talk about or even a lot of people write about because we're always in pursuit of, you know, the destination, the dream and the goal. But we never think what what happens. What do we do after or or to consider kind of what's that next elevation or expansion of our dreams? Was that something that you struggled with or what? Why? Why that specific point in her life that why why did it need to be that that kind of like brought the impetus for the Palm Springs? Well, I think, okay, so, you know, before the book came out, I did talk a lot about how I expected people to think that Poppy was annoying. And partly that was because I had given her a lot of my most annoying attributes. And partly it was because I knew from the very beginning that this was what she was dealing with. And I think when you are in the thick of pursuing something and you just are in that stage of it where you just like lie awake just sort of thrumming with energy and and thinking about the future and and imagining all of this and wanting it so bad that you feel it as a physical sensation. I think it's really hard to hear from people who have gotten where you're trying to go say, and to hear them say like, it's not what you think. <laughs> I think the reason we don't hear about it a lot is because people feel very guilty for feeling that way. And beyond that, even if they don't deep down feel guilty, they know that it might not be received well especially by friends and peers who are still trying to get to that place. And, you know, before I ever published, I remember having this thought that like any publishing deal would be good enough. Like 
any deal would be good enough. And then I got like my very first offer and it was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. And then, you know, it was like any marketing will be good enough. And then it's like, you kind of see how things fizzle out there and, and the goalposts just keep moving. And you just, you really are always shocked. And like, this is, I would say, maybe it's not universal, but I have yet to meet an author who doesn't feel this way that like your dreams just sort of shift so that you can never quite achieve them. And you always feel like you're failing or you're not getting like quite what you imagined or whatever. And that's like a hard thing on its own. But the, the impetus to put Poppy in that situation came from one very specific conversation I had with a friend. And this friend and I had, have known each other for a few years from publishing stuff. And we both had published a few books before Beach Read came out. Like I had published in YA and she did as well. And we both had like very mid-list careers, meaning not a ton of marketing, not a ton of sales, <laughs> just sort of like your books exist. They usually go into Barnes and Noble for three months and then they take them from the shelves. And that's the time that you have to shine. And if you sold enough in those three months, then you might get a paperback release, which means one year later, they go into the store for three more months and then come back out when they don't sell. And so we had kind of been through that for a few years together, but we also had a lot of friends who were way more successful than we are in traditional ways. And so, you know, I had sold Beach Read and Beach Read was getting ready to come out and I was trying to figure out like what my next book was going to be. And I called this friend and I was just sort of like, everything's lining up for Beach Read. Like this is going to happen. Like this is going to be the, the, the experience that every author, like as hard as you try not to, it's like what you imagine. You're like, it's going to hit the list and like booksellers are going to like recommend it and whatever readers are going to make fan art. And it's like, I've never had that really to that extent before. And it was so weird watching it kind of positioned to see that that was probably going to happen. And I was talking to this friend and we were just saying like, you know, like this is really great. But on the other hand, like we've watched our friends go through this exact scenario before and they're not any happier than we are. In some cases, they're less happy. Like there's a whole different kind of stress that comes with that. There are different expectations. You feel like you're letting people down way more often. Whereas if they didn't really give you much money to begin with and your books don't sell, it's sort of like, well, we all saw this coming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is completely resonating. Um, we talk a lot about on OKSIS being more yeah. journey focused than destination focused. Sure. And my sister Scout is incredibly good at this. She is, you know, obsessed with the build and the journey and the and the yeah. process. And it is true. It's something that I think society implants in us that we want more 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 and then when we get there it's like oh that that was it okay great oh, but yeah so I love that you inserted some of that in there because I don't think we see that a lot where someone has achieved everything and they look around and they're just like wait I feel really lonely wait I want Alex I want my best friend I want that right. missing piece and it helps you to prioritize in life and something that I talk about a lot is like it sucks because like I don't think until you have that realization like until you get to that point that you appreciate the process yeah so it's weird. It's weird because we're always yeah. in pursuit of it. But then we get there and then we're like, okay, now I can enjoy the process for the next thing. You know what I mean? It's very right. tricky. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, trying to have that conversation with people where you're like, I don't want to be insensitive to the fact that you are still working so hard and it feels really bad in its own way. You don't want to be ungrateful. You want to be like, I get what an incredible gift this is. But at the same time, you're so right. It is the process because the, the fact of the matter is when I got to the point of being 
a number one New York Times bestselling author, Woo! which is like, yeah, you did. Yeah. I mean, I did scream, but, uh, <laughs> and, and that's super, super cool. Like that's amazing. And I'm, I'm not downplaying that. But even at that point, it was like, this does not feel better than writing a book feels like writing a book is still the part that feels the best. And I'm trying to remember which like comedian it was. It might've been like Seinfeld or someone, but there was some comedian on a podcast who was saying that like, if he won a Nobel prize for his comedy, he would feel really good for like two days. <laughs> and that's like very much, I think how success feels like anytime you get this like outer validation, it feels really good for like maybe a day and a half. Right. Exactly. And then afterward, it's just like this vacuum has been created. So I really appreciate all the great things, but still like the bottom line is if you don't love writing, even when you really, really hate it, if you don't love it on some level, like don't do it for the other stuff because the other stuff isn't going to feel better than that. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about travel in particular, and I'm going to read a quote. I'm going to quote you to you. I hope that's okay. Um, This at the end of the book, it says, it's the very fact that it's finite that makes traveling special. You can move to any one of those destinations you loved in small doses, and it wouldn't be spellbinding, life-altering seven days you spent there as a guest, letting a place into your heart fully, letting it change you. So... That took my breath away because as many people listening know, I am currently creating an app, a travel recommendations app. So while I read this book, I was just like, my heart was fluttering. And honestly, it's called Camber for those who listening and don't know, but it came out of that feeling that that quote exhibits of letting a place into your heart and understanding that it is you are a guest in that and you're making it home and so you know Canberra will be this place where you list out those places that you hold dear to your heart and then can put on display for your friends and family to discover for themselves and also for you to kind of peek into other people's vacations and um, after the fact and then you know explore their recommendations kind of only almost feels like you're viewing their treasured memories or it's kind of like a memory box in that way but something just feels so beautiful about travel and I wanted to bring back that beauty of travel and more of the the feelings that you get when you're in this incredible space. I mean, we could talk about travel companions as well and just like being complimentary with travel companions and and like making sure that you're good travel companion with, you know, either romantic partners or friends. But there is just something that happens where when you're in a new place, you're a guest and you feel the respect and this love for a place. So and I felt that so many times in this book. I mean, obviously, Poppy has the I hate the word wanderlust, but she does. She has this like, crazy you know drive to see the world and to see these people so talk to us a little bit about you know what uh, role travel has played in your life and why you wanted to create maybe a book all centralized around it yeah I think, I mean, I just related to so much of what you were saying. I, so my family moved to the Midwest from Southern California when I was a very small kid. And that was like a rough transition for many reasons. And so a couple of years into it, my parents were trying to kind of like figure out like, how do we not feel so landlocked and trapped and all of that? And so we didn't have the money to fly to California. So that was out. And so the best we could do was driving to Florida. 
And as one does, again, yes, as one does, <laughs> I mean, like preferably having now been old enough to realize that flying to Florida is an option. I'm just like, wow, <laughs> wow. That was a lot of like, because the other thing, this is just like a sidebar that I do feel like needs to be said. My parents raised me in this way. That's like, you never pay for something that you can do yourself and, or that you can like in the time versus money scale, they would always choose like the time over the money. And so like we would take these trips and we would leave, I'm not kidding, at 3 a.m. so that we could drive to Orlando through the night, get there in the morning, have a full day and then go to bed <laughs> that night. So we're not paying for that extra night in the hotel and like, and somehow my parents would just be like fine and chipper. And the three of us kids who'd been in the back seat would just be like have cricks in our necks and just be miserable. So we did a lot of driving trips when I was a kid. And like a lot of them were just sort of like national parks that I just like didn't really care about or understand how powerful and like rare and special those things are. But it did set this like internal clock in me where it's like every three months, I feel like I need to go somewhere or I am just going to explode. And I mean, I imagine that this last year has been rough for you if you're making a travel app. And it was for me, like, I can't, like, it would just kick in and be like, I need to go somewhere else. I need to be around different people. I need to be around different sites. I need to eat different things. And it doesn't even really almost matter where. It's just this feeling of like, I need a reset. And weirdly, like, I find... When you're in your daily life and what, you know, we we're talking about like the finite quality of travel, when you're in your daily life, it's so easy to get sucked into your routines and like the mundane elements of your existence. And when you go somewhere outside of your everyday, when all of the like kind of framework for how you define yourself falls away, your brain just does something different. I think it just makes room for new thoughts that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And like, for daydreaming. And like, I don't know, so many of my books have started while I was on an airplane because I was just sitting there, not doing anything on my phone, not really feeling like reading, just sitting there looking out the window and that stretch of time watching like so much of the earth move past from beneath you is like the most inspiring thing in the world to me. And I don't even know that I can put it into words, which is why the book is like 400 pages long. <laughs> But yeah, I just think it's like transformative. It's just like an opportunity to open up a new part of yourself. And I think that's the same thing with making new friendships. It's like the same thing when you go to a new place or let a new person into your heart, either one of those things, it's like you find out there are all these pieces of you that you didn't even know existed. And I feel like the point of being on the planet is to find every room in your heart that is there. Oh my God. Well, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. It is so true. So any of the trips that Poppy and Alex go on, were they any of them inspired by trips that you had taken or even want to take, like fantasized about? Yeah, they were all inspired by trips I'd taken other than the Palm Springs trip I was supposed to take oh. during revision. And then COVID happened. Oh my God. So that one did not happen. And all of that like had to be like Google research, but everything Oh, so you've else, never been to Palm Springs? I haven't since I was very small. Oh my God, you would love yeah. it. <laughs> I, it's my dream because I feel like that's where you go to become a gaudy old woman. Yeah. And that's what I want. 
you know? Yes, it's very schwitzy. It's very hot. You definitely described it well with the heat. I felt like I was, because I actually, oh, I was, I mean, I was just in Palm Springs. I, I live in LA, Amazing. so it's very easy for us to kind of pop in over there. Um, I was just in Palm Springs and it was, eh, it's like 110 degrees. And I was like, oh yes, I feel this. I feel the people we meet on vacation. Yes. Yeah. yeah so what other trips that, that were in the book that yeah. inspired you? I mean, really, so the Vancouver trip, funnily enough, was like inspired by my honeymoon. So obviously things happened very differently on that trip (laughs) than Poppy and Alex's. But my husband and I did take like a water taxi out to an island with a hot spring and a rainforest. And on our way back, like the water taxi ride truly was like one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And I really do think I got off of it and was like four inches shorter because it was just like slamming against waves over and over again but we really did see otters holding hands on the ride back to the shore and that felt like the universe smiling on me otters have always been my favorite animal and like it's not an exaggeration to say one okay one time I got a really bad haircut and the way that a friend cheered me up was like just think about the fact that somewhere in the world otters are holding hands right now so it was really magical to see that yeah. in the wild. Oh, I love that. Which one was it? It was it the South of France or was it an Italy trip that Italy. they went on? Italy. Italy, yes. That trip, that was like my call me by your name fantasy yes. trip that I one day I'm manifesting it. It will happen. Just like the laziness, loafing around at the pool, drinking just wine. Eating. I'm eating. Oh, yeah. Just impeccable. All right. So we're going to do a little rapid fire. And I always say it's rapid yeah. fire but it's like very deep questions. So like, take it as you will. Number one, what does literary success look like to you? I mean, we touched a little bit on this, but you know, was, you know, reaching that level for beach read something that you always imagined. And is that how you define success? I mean, I think it feels so valuable to be able to pay your bills, like with your work, like that is something, yeah, that's, that's huge. But I think on a deeper level, the biggest thing has been coming to understand that writing is an art and publishing is a business. And I think it's so important to get to the point of trusting your own work and your own viewpoint and seeing the value, the innate value of what you make beyond if it can (laughs) make you money. So it's really tricky because it's like on the one hand, yes, I love paying my bills really like hugely into that. But also I think that it's so important to believe in your work, even when no one else really understands it. Like this, such a good rapid fire question. I'm very good at being succinct. But I think about that researcher who was developing the mRNA vaccines for years and she couldn't really get grant money. Everybody was like, why are you doing this? We already have like a good vaccine delivery method. Like you're kind of just wasting everyone's time. And she just went after it and it ended up, her research ended up being the basis of the COVID vaccine. And I think about that all the time. And I think about, you know, like Van Gogh, like painting and nobody giving a shit and just like, all of this work that needs to be made that feels really crucial to the person who is making it, I feel like you just have to be able to separate out all the other voices. And so if anyone outside of you says this isn't worth it, you have to somehow get to the point of trusting your gut over like every piece of evidence around you. And that's really hard. But again, I think that's like one of the points of being alive. It's like open up all those rooms in your heart and trust your own voice and beyond what external voices are saying. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. 
how do you select the names of your characters? Like, do you have a little baby name book that you go to or what are, what's the process there? There's a lot of Googling. There's a lot of Googling and it's tricky because sometimes you end up changing them a few times throughout. And that really like affects the characters for me. Like I kind of need to know their names to like build them. But with Poppy, I just knew I like wanted it to be something that really felt like Poppy that was very vibrant and playful. I knew, I knew kind of her parents' personalities and how that would feed into how they named her. And with Alex, I specifically just wanted a name that was very common and very normal so that Poppy could kind of be like a snot about it when she met him and be like, you are so normal. Your name is Alex and you're wearing like the sweatshirt of the college that we just arrived to today. (laughs) Like this is too much normal. I love it. Okay. What did you edit out of the book? If anything? I know that I did. I'm trying to think what what came out. Um, I always have to cut a lot because I overwrite. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know I added, it's all lost forever. Yeah, I don't know if like what came out, honestly, like maybe some, I, every single book, I do have to take out a mm-hmm. few jokes because in like the copy edits phase or whatever, well, there'll be a couple of different things. One is like, I have made like too many cocaine jokes apparently And like my editor will be like, didn't you do a cocaine joke in the last book? And it's like the same joke. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I just make that joke a lot. And so all my characters do. And like, I think the same thing in Beach Read, like January says that she has a gun, like when she gets into Gus's car. And I I like had Poppy do the exact same thing when she wakes up and Alex is like shuffling around in the room. She just like groggily shouts, I have a gun. And so I I changed that obviously, because it was like, this is... (laughs) I'm just too predictable. So luckily, like, I never noticed those things, but my editor is like, you already did this exact thing. (laughs) Yeah, you already did that. That is phenomenal. I mean, we appreciate the humor is so perfect in your books. It's like so sharp. It's so, it like surprises me almost because, you know, you're getting into this book and you're just like, (laughs) oh shit, that's, that is hilarious. It's fabulous. So great. So great. Okay. What was the hardest scene to write in People We Meet on Vacation? Ooh. I mean, there were a lot that were very hard to write, but I think that their final, like Poppy and Alex's final conversation was really tricky to write because I wanted to feel like things were really resolved. And that doesn't in real life, I feel like happen over one conversation and they just had so much to talk about. So finding the balance of like what to say, what to leave out and kind of how to move it through the movements of everything that they needed to talk about and to make it still feel natural and like it's in their voices. That scene broke me. Like, oh my God, I was like gripping the book so hard. I mean, it was just so beautiful. And also just, again, having Poppy come to those types of realizations, it was really powerful. And I'm so happy that she put in the work to really know that she deserved that kind of love. You know what I mean? All right. I've taken up far too much of your time, Emily. I really love you and your books and your writing style. It brings me so much joy. So I really want to know what is next for you. Do we have another book? I know we're asking a lot, but do we have another book coming? Yes. Okay. So next summer book lovers will be out in May and yeah, I'm really excited about it. It was so hard to write and I'm just like hoping and praying that means that it's because it's good and not because it's bad. So we'll find out. But in like the same way that I saw, not even in the same way. So, you know, I kind of saw people we meet on vacation as this homage to when Harry met Sally. 
and with book lovers, it's sort of an homage to You've Got Mail, but in a kind of twisted way, the main character, she's not based on, but she was sort of inspired by Parker Posey's character in You've Got Mail, who's like the bitch editor. Because I just wanted to write about a woman who like loves her job and has this severe haircut and like doesn't want kids and loves working out and like eating salads, but she's not a villain. And so that was like kind of the the whole driving thing. Like I wanted to write about a woman who like is always getting dumped for the nice girl. Oh, I am counting down the days. <laughs> it is going to be so great. All right. Where can everyone find you and people when you know, on vacation and all of the things? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. My handle is Emily Henry writes. It's a good follow. <laughs> you are very silly and very great. And you give really good book recommendations because you're reading a lot yeah, all the time. That's mostly what I use it for. So I feel like if you're looking for more reads, I actually am a great follow. And I do actually try. I haven't done it in a while. But I try to do like writing Q&As semi-regularly to kind of like make it less obtuse and secretive. And I have a bunch of highlights saved. So even if you don't follow me, but you want to just get some writing information, you can go and look through my highlights. And you can find people we meet on vacation most places, but I highly recommend your local indie bookstore or my local indie bookstore, which is Joseph Beth Booksellers. You have an indie bookstore? Yeah, in Cincinnati. We're learning so much. Huh? Yeah. Oh my God. Where is it? Wait, what is I it? Think you're, I think you're assuming that I own an indie bookstore. I do not. I'm claiming an indie bookstore as my local Okay. Indie. Right. <laughs> I so wish that got I did, it. but I am not organized enough for that. Oh my God. I was going to say that would be so on brand Yeah, I want to. It would have worked perfectly. Um, we'll get, Maybe we'll make someday. that happen. That'll be... That'll be the next venture. I think the indie bookstore that I own is just going to be like my front yard. And I'm just going to put out all of the books <laughs> that I need to like call from my shelves and be like, please come take this. Oh my God. I take multiple tote bags around my neighborhood because I don't have a little free library, but other people do. And I just like stuff them full. St- like, oh my God. <laughs> You're a gem. You're a mensch. We, yeah, we love a free library. We love that. I mean, speaking of, I actually do need to go donate a ton of books. So that um, reminded me, but thank you so much, Emily. This was so delightful. A dream of mine to speak with you and sisters. I'm sure, I'm sure you loved people we meet on vacation. It was just like the perfect way to end the summer with us. And uh, we'll see you on Instagram and next time. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Ah, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.